0: is paula underwater
1: hi i'm aquascape adventure ryan
0: welcome to rumblefish
1: your underwater journey
0: ryan
1: how are you doing
0: good how are you doing
1: good busy as usual it's great to be back
0: so because i don't get to to have you around that uh, often anymore i want to let you introduce our guest tonight today whatever time it is <laughs>
1: I actually don't know where you are. Are you on the west coast, Brian? Oh uh, yes, I'm in California. Awesome. So a local guy. So we got Brian on the other hand, on the other line. Sorry.
0: At Green Thumb Scapers. Yes. Welcome, Brian.
2: Thank you. Thank you for inviting me today.
0: I, I want to say that seventy-five percent of our of our episodes are Brian's or Ryan's on the
2: other <laughs> side. Very popular name. <laughs>
0: Anyways, welcome, Brian. Thank you for spending some time uh, with us today, tonight, this evening, afternoon, morning. Um, we want to hear about your underwater journey. How did you? How did you get started in the hobby? When? When? When was that? And how? How did it happen?
2: Oh, uh, you know, my uh, my parents actually got into aquariums before I was born. Uh, shortly before I was born, they had a high stress job. They worked long hours, and they wanted to wind down at night without the stress of media and everything that goes on around the world you know so they set up aquariums and uh, when I was born they brought me home and they put me in a crib in front of a fish tank and I've just been totally infatuated with fish in aquatic environments ever since um, I ended up raising my first fish and keeping my first tropical tank when I was five uh, before that I had fancy goldfish those were my first fish I ever kept um, and it's been a kind of a lifelong passion of mine ever since just been always kind of a place of peace and uh, serenity for me. Uh, a kind of a place of healing too. It's uh, it's just so it's such a good hobby, for I mean every aspect of your life. You build discipline taking care of these things. Uh, you build uh, rigorous schedules for feeding, for uh, maintenance, and things to m- keep your aquariums healthy and keep your animals happy. So it instills this uh, work ethic, I guess, in a child if they start early on to, uh, you know, really put forth the effort and uh, build a relationship even with the animals that they're keeping. Uh, That's another beautiful thing about the hobby, I think, is uh, it allows you to really make a connection outside of, you know, connecting with people is wonderful and connecting, uh, you know, with ideas and things is is great but connecting with nature it's uh it's like this primal thing that i I think all people really need to experience uh it really uh it was an amazing thing for me as a kid taking care of something and watching it connect to me and recognize me react to me uh, feeling that i guess it's almost like an interdependence you know they need me but i felt like i kind of needed them too (laughs) You know, it it was a a really great experience all the way around. I've been trying to instill the same thing in my children. Um, I'm actually just about to bring my second one in. Uh Uh, But I do have a nine-year-old son that has been into aquariums now since he was four.
1: That's awesome. And uh,
2: we started him as soon as we could. We moved around a lot when he was young. So he didn't really get a chance to set something up or or have me set something up and have it actually just run and, and enjoy it for any period of time until he was about four years old. But uh, it's been a wonderful experience for him as well. Uh, He's gotten to dabble with design. Uh, He's been introduced into several different branches of science because of aquariums, uh, which is just, I mean, it's amazing how much it can help you grow as a person, uh, this hobby. There's really just so much involved to it.
1: I mean, you put it perfectly there. I couldn't agree more on the whole aspect of it. And it's just such a lovely hobby. And then even beyond the hobby, all the great people that you get to meet like yourself and we get to chat with once a week. So, you know, thank you for taking the time first for sharing that story. And, you know, you, I couldn't have said it any better.
0: Yeah, because you, Ryan, have been in the hobby also for uh, since a very early age. Yeah. And you have yeah. your kids too that are also involved with it right now. So I think you two kind of have a lot of, a lot in common in that sense.
1: Yeah. It's it's also great because you know what I've noticed too is it it also helps with responsibility for kids, you know. You yes. know it helps teach them taking care of things and regular maintenance and the feeding and all that I mean and then you have a common interest which is always important when you're having a little kid
0: That's beautiful yeah So Brian you as a as a kid in the hobby uh I'm sure you 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 know you enjoyed it in a different way than you do now uh what was your fa- if you remember if uh you maybe you don't uh what was your favorite part and your least favorite part of the hobby when you were a kid like growing up surrounded by by aquariums
2: Uh, You know, as a child, I think uh, my favorite part was just the exposure to all these different natural environments, all these different exotic animals. I mean, it was just mind blowing for me as a kid, you know, to go from growing up in an area where it's all agriculture uh, out here where I live. This is all farmland out here for the most part. Orange groves, fields and, and cattle and things like that. So a lot of people out here pay attention to dairy and farm animals and, and other things like that, but you don't really see a whole lot going on for exotic animals or things out of jungles or or places like that around the world that aren't really uh, spoken of as much in, in these kind of communities. And uh you know that stuff really just grabbed my interest big time when I was a kid and uh I love learning. I love exposure to new things, new ideas, new animals sciences i mean everything like that i'm just a naturally very curious person um my least favorite thing in the hobby as a kid i think was probably the lack of available information
3: oh interesting. Uh, when i
2: got into the hobby almost 30 years ago uh, a little over 30 years ago actually out here we didn't have internet <laughs> so there was no looking things up on google uh, there was no joining a chat room or a forum or finding you know like-minded people very easily to bounce ideas off of or learn from. So everything was trial and error, which meant, you know, you would buy fish. Sometimes they'd live, sometimes they'd die. Sometimes you would figure out how to breed something. And you'd, I mean, everything was just by chance back then. Um, You know, as a kid, I tried to learn as much as I could from libraries, uh, but local libraries only carry so much information on tropical fish. Uh, You'd find more stuff on like bass and, and catfish and different things like that, that live up in these areas and trout and whatnot. But uh, you know that was probably my least favorite part of the hobby as a kid was just the lack of available information and guidance.
0: But at the same time, it kind of you know instilled something in you. I think like being inquisitive and and being very proactive in uh, in getting the information you want and you're interested in. I think that's a very good thing to to uh, to 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 have a a child develop. You know, in 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 at a young age, age. It's very very important. Like I
2: kind of goes. I'm sorry. That kind of goes with the idea of, uh, children being challenged, you know, and having challenges that they have to face in their youth, making them grow up as stronger, more capable people. And that's, that really does fit. You know, it was actually a good thing that I didn't have as much available to me back then because it drove me to ask more questions and to search for more answers.
0: Exactly. I, and and this is not aquarium related, but I remember being a kid, you know, and growing in the eighties, we have no, we had no internet either. Uh, And I've always been a very curious person. So I was always that kid that we were watching TV and it's like, daddy, what does that mean? Or what is that word? Or or, what is that country? And, and this is like a very dear memory to me. Like we had this encyclopedia, like this 24 book encyclopedia (laughs) uh, right next to the TV. And every time I would ask something, my dad, of course, would know the answer, but he would be like, oh, go, go and look it up, like search it. And. You know, that idea of like you want to know things, you, you know, your 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 brain is kind of curious and hungry for information, go reach for it, you know, and, and I think that's a that's a really good thing that it's helped me a lot through life that like definitely. don't go to bed having a question and answer, like look it up. And nowadays with the Internet, it's just so, so easy to do that.
2: Yes, definitely. There's so much out there now. I, I mean, you can really find information on almost anything that you can think of now whatever question you have in your mind somebody else has probably asked it
3: mm-hmm. and
2: now that the Internet's a thing and, and everybody's on here they are so all you just have to do is look for it learn to ask the right questions
0: exactly learn to use Google <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's everything I mean I've got an eight-year-old and six-year-olds at home and they literally can turn on YouTube and all of a sudden they're learning a dance or a song that I didn't even know that they had access to like just see ability that they have nowadays is ridiculous you yep. got all,
0: all the information out at the tip of your your fingers like they say um so you grew up around aquariums and at some point and of course you were not responsible for those till till it comes to a point that you actually have your own yes that, that uh, you put together for the first time and you pick the stock the, for it for the first time how first was that
2: one i did uh was when i was five like i said uh I picked the tank, picked the fish, picked the decorations, did all of the work. Um, and from that point on, I was a fish keeper. I just absolutely loved it. I got uh, all kinds of different fish early on. Silver dollars were a favorite until I found out that they grow the size of dinner plates and I didn't have permission <laughs> to have giant tanks. So I had to find a home for them. And then I got into keeping Corydoras, which I still keep today and breed. Um, I, I absolutely love Cory cats. They've just always been a favorite of mine. I think it's because they were my mom's favorite uh, tropical Mm -hmm. fish. So it's just something that gives me good memories going back. Um, But uh, yeah, I kept tanks from that point on. Uh, I had about two or three tanks at any given moment uh, from the time I was five all all the way through about uh, 14. Mm -hmm. Um, And through that period of time too, I I was also given permission uh, to convert a swimming pool into a pond. Oh, wow. which is uh, a whole story on itself.
0: <laughs> well, we we want to hear about it. That sounds yeah. like, a, like a good um, one.
2: So uh, I must have been about seven years old a- at the time. Uh, we lived in uh, California, Visalia. And uh, back then, Caltrans, which is the uh, state's highway company, they, they put all the highways in and everything and maintain the roads and highways. They were planning an expansion on the freeway and it was going to actually go straight through our home. And, uh, you know, my parents were like, oh, my gosh, they're coming in and buying all the all the land out. So we made some plans and they, they put together a new place for us to go move to. And during two years in between, we had this this house we were living in and uh, a pool that we knew was going to get demolished by a bulldozer. And my parents said, you know, I'm not worried about the pool anymore. You can play with it and do whatever you want to do. So, uh, of course, I went insane. And uh, at that (laughs) point in life, I was really into traversing the creeks behind our home. And uh, I would oftentimes go all the way up into the foothills on foot. Um, So, I mean, I would take pretty long treks on foot in these creek beds to find different things down there. So I started stocking the pool over time. After it became freshwater and non-chlorinated, I saw lots of algae blooming going on and everything else. I started introducing things I found in that creek bed from clams and turtles to uh, frogs and fish. I even caught a sturgeon in the creek at at one point, I'm pretty sure somebody released it in there. But I caught a sturgeon in there and put it in the pool too and let it grow. And uh, for two years, all this stuff lived in there and some of them bred and some of them just grew massive like that sturgeon. Dragging that thing back out to the creek was a chore and a half. I didn't want to leave anything in there to get bulldozed. Um, you know, I really did care about everything I put in there. So uh, before the dozers came through and everything, I went through the pool and we drained it way down and I caught everything out of it and released it back into the creek back here. But wow. uh, yeah, the surgeon was well over three feet at the time. We had to put it in a, a big uh, rubber-made trash can and uh, we put it on the big dolly and, and dragged it through the field in the back. But uh, we managed to get it back into the creek fine. But that was a really fun experience. We had ducks that landed in the pond and bred in it. Um, that pool was huge too. It was uh, it was not a small swimming pool or a lap pool. It was about 30,000 gallons. Oh, wow. Oh, it was a gigantic swimming pool. How
0: much so fun? It was a,
2: yeah, it was a super fun thing that they let me do there. It kind of blew my mind that my parents gave me the leeway to do that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's pretty rad. I mean, talk about a bucket list item to do.
2: Yeah, definitely. It was super fun.
1: And, uh, you know, my early
2: fish keeping days, uh, I had only so much money that I could put towards the hobby. So tropical fish were limited for me because of the expense in in setting up and getting all the stuff for them and getting them in particular. So a lot of the fish that I kept early on were actually caught locally. And uh, I experimented with minnows and all kinds of different things that I caught as a kid over here. And uh, that was my break into uh, fish keeping on a bigger scale.
0: That's so cool. Keeping ponds, I mean, in, in your case, you're talking about a huge swimming pool, but uh, keeping ponds outside, it's such a great experience. You know, when when you put up something and then wildlife finds that, that piece of water, that, that little bit of an ecosystem you created for them, and they yeah, just decide to inhabit it. And I think it's such an amazing opportunity just to kind of observe how things happen and how things come together like I have a little 125 gallon pond outside and like every other week there's a frog that shows up out of nowhere and just lives in the pond for a few days and then just leaves and I don't know just like observing that and like learning from nature firsthand that's such an awesome experience
2: it really is it's cool to see things fill niches naturally and Mm -hmm. and watch everything balance you know that's something I was always really Uh, intrigued with as a kid too. I I loved going out into nature constantly Um, all the way through my uh, young adulthood. Even I would go out and and hike through the mountain ranges out here. I'd disappear for a couple of weeks, sometimes into the mountains. It's just fun to get out and see nature and be away from everything else. You know, mankind's sense of perfection tends to be very destructive and uh, it's very rigid. I guess I would say in sterile feeling a yeah. lot of times. So getting away from that sterility, I mean, you know, you go into cities, people are spraying weeds and cracks and sidewalks, they're killing moss and stuff. And they're, you know, changing the landscape and, you know, filling things with concrete and putting hard surfaces up everywhere. And it, it's just a whole different feeling than going out into a forest and seeing old growth of trees and ferns and, you know, creek beds and rivers and things. It's peaceful out there
0: totally and i'm 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 familiar with the area you leave you mentioned visalia i we used to go camping all the time at sequoia national park which is one of my favorite places in the world if not my favorite place in the world really uh and it's just like so great that that's your backyard pretty much
2: yes yes it was a wonderful thing to grow up with all of that i I remember before they had all the fences up everywhere so you couldn't approach trees and whatnot that was back before they knew about the shallow roots being subject to all the foot traffic um, but, yeah, it's just, it's a beautiful area up there. There's so much inspiration everywhere.
3: Absolutely. Uh, my
2: wife actually lived in New Zealand for a time, and wow. uh, she mentioned actually how much it reminded her of New Zealand up there. Crazy, Just huh? the mountains, the formations and everything. She just said, it's almost like you took a chunk of New Zealand and put it over here. It's crazy.
0: There's, there's something really special, and, again, I'm just rambling and, like, getting off trail here, but, like, standing next to those giant sequoias, Those thousands of years old trees that are like so unique, that only grow in a certain, you know, altitude and under a very specific uh, circumstances. There's something very humbling about that, for sure. Definitely. Yeah, I haven't been there. I mean, I haven't been there since the big fires happened a a few years ago. And I'm kind of I kind of don't want to go back because I don't want to see it.
2: Oh, we're doing good. Actually, you'd be surprised how fast that forest regenerates. Uh, most of the chaparral zone up here burns regularly. It's been a thing in California since before people were paying attention oh, yeah. to it. Um, you know, a lot of the species up here, such as the manzanita, like the driftwood you see in the tank behind me here, mm-hmm. um, manzanita grows up there, and it requires fire to spread. Yeah. So that uh, it, it's just a part of nature here, oh. really, the destruction and regrowth. But within a year, usually, you see lots of oak trees and uh, new growth popping up everywhere. It's, it's mm. amazing how quick it regrows.
0: Same thing with the sequoia trees. They also require fire uh, for the seeds to kind of be able yes, to sprout. Mm-hmm. Open. Yeah. it's uh, Yeah. And, and you know, it makes you think about about how much we alter nature, you know, because we try to avoid fires. And, and we know that in many of these, like, specially protected areas, there's control burns that, you know, uh, that the fire department does just to kind of keep everything in track. But... You know, there's, we, we're having all these massive fires, especially here in California. You know, the three of us here today, uh, we, we know we've lived it firsthand, I'm sure. Uh, but you just keep areas from burning for so long that when it finally catches on fire, it's the yeah. way of, there's no way of controlling it.
2: Yep. We've been getting bigger and bigger fires. That's definitely been a problem. I, I've been noticing uh, lately, luckily around our area, at least the rangers have been going up lately and clearing out a lot of undergrowth. And they've been trying to curb at least the size of the fires that we're going to be facing in the future, which is a good thing. But yeah. it's very important to do that regularly. And uh, that's actually how I get my driftwood. Um, I, I talk to the rangers up there and I find out where they're going to be clearing and burning a bunch of stuff. And I ask permission to go grab a few pieces. So yeah. that's usually how I end up doing it. <laughs> I, awesome. have,
0: I have a lot of uh, locally collected manzanita in my tanks as well. <laughs> We're very fortunate, you know, people in Europe, yeah. they pay an arm and a leg for a piece of, of manzanita. Uh, and we're just lucky enough that we can just go and grab it.
1: Yeah, We've kind of started off with the, the young age and then where did it go from there? I mean, when did you, did you always like the tropical fish? When did we start going into like the plants and all that?
2: Uh, you know, uh, my interest in plants probably began around the same age I started that pond. Um, at that point in time, I was going out and and finding animals all over the place, you know, looking for fish and turtles and frogs and all these different things. And I'd go miles up this creek bed. And uh, during that period of time, I would always catch myself stopping and looking at the plants along the way. I would see lots of, you know, normal looking grasses and weeds and stuff that I was familiar with. But every once in a while, I'd see a plant that looked different. So I would snag it up real fast and take it home, plant it and start looking up information. I could find out about it to see what it is. And uh, before long, I started realizing that almost every weed that grows here in California was actually an ornamental plant brought here at one point. And <laughs> once you start realizing that these plants came from all over the world and that there's lots of ornamental value to some of them if you grow them and take care of them, it's it's amazing what you can put together just from your own backyard. So that was definitely my intro into plants. Um, and of course, growing in, in a uh, agriculture zone out here, growing up out here, I was introduced to growing plants and setting up ecosystems and organic farming and things like that from very, very young. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure third grade or so, we were actually putting together two liter bottle ecosystems and growing seeds in them. And it, it was a thing we did in school back then. So I, I was always kind of intrigued by it, but I didn't get into collecting them, I'd say, until I uh, I got to... About seven or so. It's when I started putting potted plants all over the place. Oh, great. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, my parents loved all that. <laughs> it was a, a big cluttered mess. You know, as a kid, I wasn't that organized, uh, so I just had stuff wherever I could take care of it best, and uh, it worked for me, which was fun. And I, I was just lucky; my parents actually worked with me on a lot of that and let me kind of do my thing. Uh, but. As I got older, I started uh, getting more and more curious. Uh, in my late teens, I, I actually moved out of Visalia and uh, down into Los Angeles. And that's that's really where I would say the fish hobby opened up in a huge way for me. Um, the exposure down there was just mind blowing compared to up here. I mean, we had, I, I think at any given time up here before PetSmart and Petco became a thing, we had like maybe two shops. Yeah. So that there wasn't a whole lot of options to go to, especially for kids, unless you could drive an hour out of town. Um, so there wasn't a whole lot here. When I lived in L.A., though, I, I felt like there was a fish shop almost every three blocks. <laughs> there was a ton of them at, at that time. So I ended up going and getting jobs working at fish shops, uh, scrubbing tanks, you know, keeping fish and, and learning as much as I possibly could from all these people that had been doing it longer than I had. Um, or people that just had more exposure or more access to more materials to learn from. So it uh, it was a great experience for me to, to just be a sponge and go out and absorb as much as I could from all these folks. And uh, I got really, really lucky and met several people over the years that were able to really kind of guide me in a better direction than I was going. Because, I, I mean, I threw a really broad net out into the hobby initially because I just loved all of it. It was really hard for me to pick a favorite and just do something. So I kind of did everything I could. Um, But uh, I met a a fellow down in um, El Segundo. Uh, He ran a shop called Jim's Exotic Fish. And uh, I became really good friends with Jim. And he he was just a fantastic fellow. And he had an amazing store. He bred, I mean, all of his own African cichlids and everything were bred in store. He had a 500 gallon cichlid tank in there. That was really fun to see. Uh, His wife was super into planted tanks and he was a reef keeper mainly. So he broke me into the saltwater hobby and his wife kind of edged on me over the years after watching her beautiful planted tanks. And that got me interested in growing plants underwater. And uh, that actually opened my interest even more into outdoor gardening and, uh, you know, house plants and various things as well.
0: One of the things that, that, that I really enjoy about your content—it's what you just mentioned. You know, it's not just the planted tanks. Uh, you also have tons of house plants. You incorporate those in 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 the tanks, and then you have terrariums. And I feel like you you pretty much do everything that I love uh, as well. Uh, how is that? Like, how? What does what does it bring to you just to have all that combination of like different things? Not just the tanks, but also the plants and also the terrariums. Like as a as a whole
2: you know it uh it actually made the hobby even cooler for me actually um you know keeping fish is really awesome keeping aquatic animals is incredible there are so many cool things that you can keep in a fish tank it, it's just it never ends they're discovering new things all the time too mm-hmm. so i mean every day i mean i saw heiko blair out was out on a uh, on an expedition recently and discovered a couple new species so i mean there's always new things coming into the hobby But uh, once you start blending hobbies and finding things that are compatible, it it opens up just endless amounts of doors in every direction. And Mm -hmm. pretty soon you're in a lifestyle more than a hobby. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what it's become for us. I I mean, our house, we've got plants everywhere. We've got fish everywhere. Um, We're actually getting ready to move into our permanent home. And uh, this place that I'm in here uh, will become our, our gallery, actually. Oh, wow. So we're about to have a 1,600 square foot gallery for our aquarium.
0: Awesome. And I, I, w- I wish everybody could be seeing what, what Ryan and I are seeing right now. But as, we, as we're talking, like, Brian is spinning in his, in his office chair. And it's like a 360-degree view of plants and tanks and green and, and yes. just absolutely amazing i can only imagine the things you that you're going to be able to do when that turns into a real like a hundred percent full-time uh gallery wow
2: it's going to be a lot of fun we have a a lot of plants for breeding fish um and raising a lot of exotic plants stuff that's harder to get a hold of um it, it should be really an awesome experience and uh my kids and my wife or oh, my son anyway and my wife are looking forward to getting into it i'm sure our little one's gonna be super excited too <laughs> i plan to set their uh, playpen up in front of the tanks <laughs> and, and
0: that's, awesome. that's something that i wanted to kind of touch as well like your wife she's she's as much into it as you are
2: yes she is actually um she didn't even get exposed to this stuff until we met And then I started kind of exposing her to reptiles and fish and all these exotic animals. And she started realizing how cool all this stuff was, that it's not just cats and dogs that make great pets, but you can connect with any living thing, really, and have a really cool experience. So she ended up getting into it just as much as I did. I mean, she dove headfirst into it after the exposure. Um, She started keeping boa constrictors with me, which we used to breed boas uh, way back when. Um, So we've kept a number of different exotic animals. Uh, We also keep frogs now. Uh, We keep uh, Vietnamese mossy frogs. And uh, Rana Tomea Benedicta, it's a type of thumbnail dart frog from Peru. Um, And we love all that. She actually got me into the frogs, um, which was super funny. Uh, She introduced me to Vietnamese mossy frogs after discovering them online. And uh, she said, these are the cutest things I've ever seen. We need to have some. So I started researching. and, And we've had them now for a couple of years and absolutely love them.
0: Oh, I, I need to pick your brain on, on that for sure, because I, I really want to keep frogs. It's just like, I, I'm a little scared, you know, It's that's a little a little too much out of my comfort zones. I can do terrariums and vivariums and aquariums and houseplants, but just like the reptile, it's kind of that that line that I've never crossed. And I'm, I mean, amphibians in this case, but yeah, yeah. So,
2: so you can cool. get yourself past raising insects, you, you'll be fine.
0: Yeah, that's the thing, <laughs> I... I live in the boonies. I live in the middle of the mountain. So that's always something that scares me. It's like, oh, what if I run out of food? You know, what if I? I, I That's a real uh, that's
2: a real worry, actually, especially for dart frog keepers, because uh, we have to raise colonies of fruit flies. Mm -hmm. And if these colonies are to collapse from for any reason, from temperature swings or say you get a a mold infestation in a cup or, or you end up with mites. Uh, they can actually overrun a colony of fruit flies and, and kill it off or or stop the reproduction if that happens you have to be able to set up another colony immediately otherwise your frog goes hungry Exactly. Um, that's actually another reason i'm really into bioactive vivariums yep
3: um
2: it raises natural food sources for your animals and that really does let you get away with a little bit of space in between if something is to go wrong or happen it gives you time Mhm.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's that's probably my next my next chapter in this journey this adventure of of you know the aquariums and the terrariums and all of that. It's definitely something I'm very interested in. I just haven't done my due research 100% yet, but yeah.
1: I mean another cool thing though too is like with the age we're living in, like everything can be shipped to you nowadays. Like Yes. Because I work so much, like every once in a while, my wife will get a call me like, hey, there's a box coming. Just don't open it. Leave it outside because it's full of Dubai roaches. Like you don't need to know what you don't need to know what's going to be in it. Just don't open it. Just leave it there.
0: Put it in the shade. Yeah. But how sustainable is that? You know, that's 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 another question that I always make myself uh, when 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 dealing with the hobby. How sustainable are the things we're doing and the practices we're, we're carrying? Right.
2: You know, um, one thing I actually have always thought of uh, when it comes to this hobby, too, is we actually have a chance to not only keep and enjoy these animals and learn from them and and have these awesome experiences, but we have a chance to save them.
3: Yeah.
2: I mean, a lot of people don't even know most of these things exist. So how could they save something they don't know exists? If they don't know the area is even a place, how could they Do anything to try to preserve it or protect it Mm -hmm. you know so raising awareness on these animals is actually another really awesome thing that we get to do as hobbyists Um, that's why it's also so important that we research and learn as much as we can about the species we keep we owe them that much Mm -hmm. I mean we are taking a lot of these animals out of nature and, and bringing them into our homes and at that point they're under our care you know it wasn't really their choice to be here so it's really up to us to learn about them and do everything we can to replicate their environment and the processes that we've taken away from them Mm -hmm. Um, i've been learning over time uh, also with some of the help from scott as well uh, from Tandon aquatics uh you know about the some of the ecology in aquariums and how we can take those steps further uh than we have a lot in in, you know past and in the hobby in the past A lot of times people focus on, uh, you know, massive amounts of filtration, right? Uh, Constantly vacuuming out detritus, looking for every little spot of algae and scrubbing it out of the tank. You know, biofilms are bad and this and that. You know, you want it in your filter, not in your fish tank. And, you know, in in the end, how natural is that really? It's not. I mean, exactly. You know, (laughs) if you go into a creek bed or a river, it looks nasty, in the yeah. most beautiful way possible it's it's really strange how that works
0: you you've ever gone to a creek and, and see this like rocks of green long hair green algae like floating with the water flowing with the water ain't that beautiful
2: exactly I mean I mean even in an aquarium it can be gorgeous I'm yeah. sure everybody has seen the uh, the post that goes around of the uh, goldfish tank that has green hair algae carpet all the way across the bottom and it's just it's actually mesmerizing
0: it is. Or the black bear algae that that we all kind of fear, and, but then it, you have it and it's beautiful.
2: And one added benefit, um, I don't know if you guys will be able to see or not, I can try to show you. But uh, is you get to enjoy watching fry grow yeah. up naturally in an environment, which is yeah. a totally different experience. I don't know if you guys can see above the so, aqua soil in my tank right there. There are pistogramma fry.
0: Some pistos, yeah. Beautiful.
1: Yeah. And
2: our, our bitaniata have been breeding in this tank. We have a, a breeding colony of six of them in here.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, uh, you know, the biofilms are a food source for these fry. And you can get really far in raising fish, actually, believe it or not, without doing a whole lot of intervention
3: mm-hmm.
0: when you have
2: the right ecology in your tank to support them.
0: Yeah. Hey, you were, you were talking about bioactive terrariums, but what about, you know, bioactive aquariums?
2: Bioactive aquariums, exactly. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, and and it is really cool, you know. And we were talking about this with Scott a few weeks ago. It, it, we all have that that image of the, this pristine aquarium, you know. We all kind of are familiar with, which is like spotless and there's no algae to be seen and like perfectly clear waters. And sure, it's a beautiful picture to look at, you know. I kind of, but it's it's so sterile that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful art form.
2: I mean, For I sure. really appreciate the art form. I love aquascaping. Um, you know, I've had plenty of tanks that had crystal clear water and and real clean looking plants, and you know, it's it's fun. I love gardening, and uh, you know, competition gardens can be just like that. You know, they put an awful lot of effort into it, but you won't find a single plant in nature that looks like that. Exactly. So, you know, if you go out in nature, things are imperfect, and that is the perfection. is is that balance of decay and new growth and you know, health and, and, you know, unhealthy situations. I mean, you get plants that overgrow and create shade. It opens up an area for something else to move in and, and fill a new part of the ecology and the ecosystem. It's uh it's really cool to watch nature unfold.
0: Yeah. And th- and that's always an aspect of, uh, of aquariums that I've enjoyed. Yeah. You set it up and you know, you, you do your best to, to have a nice setup and then you kind of let it go and it kind of does whatever it wants. And I do enjoy that. Like, I know there's a lot of people that are fighting that, like trimming the carpets and like trimming the plants because they're like not doing what they want them to do. But I'm kind of the opposite. It's like, OK, let's see where this goes. Let's see where where these plants want to go and what they want to do. And I think that's a that's a really cool thing. And, and for people like me with OCD issues where you feel like you need to control so much, just like letting go, it's such a good exercise.
2: Yes, it is. And, you know, it's uh, you learn more about the plants that way, too. I feel like watching them go through their natural cycle, you learn more than when you're constantly intervening in it.
1: Mm-hmm. You learn more about your fish, though, too. As well. Um, I kind of did the similar to my 125. I've kind of just let it go and be very natural. Like, I have dorsal sag on, like, one side. And I keep it manicured, like, towards the front because it just becomes too much. But then like the back half, I've just let it go crazy. And it's like grown up three quarters of the way of the tank and the way the quarries will swim through it. And now they've just set up breeding grounds everywhere. It's just, it's so much fun to watch the fish feel like in a natural habitat.
2: Definitely. Yeah. You see a lot more breeding activity and in, in setups like that as well. The fish are a lot more comfortable, you know, when they have more, that they can go and hide in or, or interact with, it keeps them a little bit more calm, I feel.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely one of my favorite tanks that I have. And I do very little to it. I just get to sit back and really just enjoy it. Like, it gets algae, you know, like every other tank, especially on the glass, because it's, it has a good uh, light output. But I scrape that, you know, every three weeks, and I just I kind of let the plants just do their thing. It's almost like I treat it like a rose bush. Like every once in a while, I'll just trim it back, and then just let it come back because it comes back a little bit fuller. Like there's not a planned cut to it.
2: Definitely, that's actually uh, something I've been trying to do with my Kabamba in my uh, 125 gallon is uh, just let it grow naturally, and uh, instead of trimming it as much, I actually started turning up the flow on my pump okay. and causing bits of it to snap. Uh, like it would in nature uh, it's a brittle plant in nature and that's actually how it tends to spread most is it snaps pieces off and they float off and grow in another spot
1: yeah i've got a tiger um, val in the very back as well and i've put it right next to the flow and it's just like covering three quarters of the tank like over the top of it and it's just so much fun so oh, it's such a cool look yeah
0: that's cool and and it's awesome, you know. We all get to enjoy the hobby in whichever way kind of tickles our fancy the most. You know, yes. you, if you enjoy your manicured, perfectly trimmed carpets, that's fantastic. And then, and exactly. then there's, there's, there's this other side of the hobby. Um, I, I'm afraid to ask how many tanks and how many setups do you have going on right now. Uh-
2: <laughs> at the moment i haven't gone insane uh i have four going at the moment okay um two of them are actually just grow out tanks uh at the moment uh, i've had plecos that have been breeding non-stop for the last two years and we've just had an army of fry to take care of and that 60 gallon cube i have is overrun with fish all the time uh, we have about 60 corridors duplicarius in there right now um, it started with a colony of 10 and then uh, we've, we've been pulling almost 200 plecos out of there in the last uh, couple of months. Wow. There's there been a ton of plecos in that tank. So it, it's been real busy with that. So I've got uh, grow out tanks that aren't anything special, but, you know, clean. And then I throw plants in the top of one of them, just whatever spare trimmings I have. Um, the plecos seem to enjoy eating the biofilm off of them and everything. So I throw them in there for the fry. That's awesome. So right now just two displays uh, while we're working on everything. Uh, we are getting ready to move into our new home. Mm-hmm. So everything's been sort of hectic, trying to get things prepped for that in the next couple of months. But once that's done, I do have uh, four more projects actually lined up. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, we're gonna be setting up a Thai Biotope for uh, Beta and Billis.
0: Awesome.
2: Uh, I'm working with Frank's Betas uh, on Instagram and, and getting a couple of Betas from him. So I'm really excited to see those um and then after that i have a five foot peruvian dart frog biotope i'm putting together and then we're getting uh, another 125 gallon for some Manica peru discus oh, and yeah. that's going to be my wife's next next adventure in uh, fish keeping <laughs> so it'll be her third tank i believe but her second tank she was actually extremely successful with i'm super proud of her uh she was able to breed gardenary Keeley fish for two years um, and she was really, really successful at it. She started with just one pair and ended up with at least 60 fish that she was keeping by the end. So, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what she does with the discus.
0: So is that something that you guys do for profit at, at the moment? Like what, what do you do with those 200 plecos? That, that you...
2: Actually, I, I just started, uh, taking them in and trading them in at shops and, and whatnot, but we haven't been doing anything for profit. Um, actually this has all just been a family hobby, um, I've always been into this stuff. And my wife talked me into uh, jumping on Instagram with her in uh, 2017.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. And uh, before that, I was sort of just uh, like a hermit fish keeper, I guess. (laughs) I, I just sort of stayed to myself. And I was that little cartoon character you see surrounded by plants in their house and nothing else and saying, this is fine. You know, I was, I was just happy doing it that way. But uh, she introduced me to this awesome community uh, that, that we've met online, and I've been able to uh, reach out to uh, so many different people and, and so many people have been able to reach back to us. It's just been incredible. And uh, I've been able to learn more as an aquarist, I think, in the last five years than I did at, at least in the previous 10. I, I mean, it's just amazing how open the community's been and how sharing and everything is, is taking place. It's, uh, it's really, really fun.
0: Yeah, definitely sharing, you know, in the, commun- in the online community. It's something that, that brings the, the hobby up to a whole nother, uh level. Because, yeah, you know, fish keeping and, and plant keeping, it kinda, it's like a very hermit thing. You do it at home and on your own, and it's not something that you would think that it would help you socialize and make friends, uh, but it does.
2: Yes, definitely. And the community is just so kind, too. I mean, there's so many awesome people in the fish keeping hobby. Uh, A lot of them just have really great personalities, really uh, have their heart in the right place. They're doing it for the the passion and the love of the hobby. And that that is the coolest thing to see. It's such an addictive thing. You know, when you see somebody get pumped up on something and, and genuinely excited about it, it's contagious.
0: Mm hmm. Well, we, we hope uh I mean if, if, if somebody is listening right now and, and they don't know you yet they don't follow yet at green Thumbscapers on Instagram go definitely go over and 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 check it out for yourself yeah. A lot of like different content you know it's not like yeah. you all kinds of fish all kinds of plants, all kinds of different setups in the water yeah. not in the water definitely a very complete uh, profile and greed to to keep Thank up you. with.
1: I know one of the favorite ones that I always love looking by is that one by the your staircase where you have all the vines coming down and you have the air plants and oh, yes you have some does it, there's some Spanish moss in there too yeah Yes there is. That's uh, my 60 gallon cube That
2: yeah. one we started in our apartment I love and that one. Uh, it was on our kitchen counter in our apartment at the end of our breakfast bar and I remember uh, the that, plants yeah. eventually grew up and bent down off of the ceiling. That's
3: and so right. If
0: I don't say it, I I need to say it's Spanish moss that it's not Spanish and it's not moss. <laughs> no, it's
2: a Tillandsia. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: a, a an nerpa. And i
2: uh, I love Tillandsias. I actually just love any plant that you can stick to a piece of wood or a rock and <laughs> grow. I, yeah. I think that's incredible.
0: That's some very healthy looking Spanish moss. Mine's not looking that good. Yeah, I, th- I think yeah. the wi- the winter and, and the fireplace didn't do any good to it. <laughs> Poor thing.
2: That just soak it really good. We keep our um, our gallery in here at about fifty percent humidity okay, for so the plants. Actually,
0: that's not super high, actually.
2: It's not crazy high. You know, it's not enough to do damage to the, the building, but it is high enough that it keeps most of the plants pretty happy. Um, Calathea and, and other house plants that we like to keep are pretty sensitive to humidity.
3: Yeah. Um,
2: so we we like to keep the humidity stable in here. So we have a whole home humidifier that we run. And uh, that's good for the plants, and it actually is kind of nice for our frogs, too.
0: And and for you.
2: <laughs> yeah. It helps us with allergies quite a lot, actually.
0: I, know. I, I have a friend that is just getting into plants now, and he had a calathea, and he was dying. And he's like, oh, what am I doing wrong? And I'm like, you're doing nothing wrong. Calatheas just they're Very picky it, plants. <laughs> just, I don't keep any anymore. I think I have one left. Uh but yeah, like that's something that also because where you are at, that's pretty. It's a pretty deserty area. It's really yeah. dry outside.
2: Yeah, during the summers it gets over a hundred and stays there for months. Yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, it stays really dry and hot out here.
0: So you do have a little oasis of green and and humidity in your home, and that's that's a beautiful yes. thing. <laughs> That's what happened to me, too, here. It's really dry. Uh, It gets in the hundreds in the summer as well. And we're like always like 10, 15 percent humidity outside. So coming into the house, it's just like you feeling that little bit of humidity in the air. It's kind of you kind of. Oh,
3: yeah,
0: it feels great. It it feels really good. I I wonder how people that live in humid uh, places in the world, you know, where it's hot and humid outside and then you come into the house kind of looking for relief and you have more hot and humid in the house because you have all these tanks and all these terrariums and and I wonder how they deal with it. I don't know.
2: Pretty lucky. This place has a good air conditioning, so we keep it uh, really stable. I I tend to keep this building at 73, Mm -hmm. Um, mainly for my frogs. Uh, A lot of our frogs are sensitive to high temps. Uh, you'd be surprised how many of these animals come from jungles where you would expect it to be super hot and humid and almost unbearable and then find out that they don't do well in temperatures around 80 degrees
0: (laughs) yeah an altitude rainforest it's not hot at all yeah i'm learning that i'm like kind of getting into the orchid world and learning about about you know orchids that that grow up in altitude and they don't like the heat at all they like it cold and they'll die on you so much to learn so much to discover and that's a beautiful thing and and when you combine both hobbies when you when you do the aquarium and then you add the plants on top of it uh it's just like never ending
2: yeah definitely it opens up quite a lot i I mean in gardening world there's been a lot of things that tie to it you know aquaponics you're growing Mm -hmm. plants with fish waste and fish water and you've got hydroponics and, and various things aeroponics using you know plants hanging in in air and spraying mm-hmm. their root systems with water. So, I mean, there's all kinds of different ways to grow plants. Um, and that's actually what led me to trying as many different plants as I did on my 60 gallon. Um, I had grown plants aeroponically, hydroponically. I, I've experimented with fog ponics, uh, which is really interesting, actually fogging the plants with nutrient solution. Huh. Um, and uh, you know, over the years, I've seen so many different plants grow in so many different ways. I stopped worrying about can this plant handle this? Can this plant handle that? And I started thinking more along the lines of what are this plant's basic needs? How is can I supply it? Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly. Absolutely.
2: And in uh, you know, the aquarium having flowing water, I, I think really is one of the things that makes a huge difference. The uh, dissolved oxygen in the water, that's you know, what the plant's roots need. So. If you have a any tank with a flowing filter system, anything like that, in it, you'd be surprised how many different plants you could dip the roots into that and and have them actually thrive.
0: Yeah, I, I basically try that with every little single cutting that I that I run across. It's like I'm just trimming something. It's like I'm just gonna throw it in there, throw it in the shallow and see what happens. And everything roots pretty much. Like yeah. sure, there's like maybe a five percent of things that, that that don't like it and they don't make it. But most of the plants will just be totally happy, just, you know, growing roots in the water and, and just growing like crazy.
2: Definitely, I'm actually a huge fan of uh, Studio Aquatica's substrate balls as well. Yeah. Those yeah. things work amazing. Uh, yeah. That's actually what we use to put those giant plants on our 60 gallon.
0: Oh. So yeah, three just...
2: foot piece lily in the back is actually growing on a single substrate ball. Wow.
0: <laughs> What's your favorite plant at the moment, if you could pick one?
2: Uh, ooh, that's a hard question. Right now, uh, both of my favorite plants, I think, would be aquatic plants. Um, I-, I love all of my plants. I-, I grow lots of orchids and things, too. But uh, I really, really have been into my cabamba uh, fricada. I-, I just really like that plant. I-, I didn't expect to like it as much as I ended up liking it. But it's, uh, it's just a beautiful plant, and uh, I love the growth form on it. And it's just, it's really interesting. And then uh, the other favorite I actually got at uh, the Coast Fish, uh, Fish Club meeting that I went to a, a couple of years back. Uh, I was gifted an Echinodurus while I was there.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: uh, it ended up being a very rare plant, uh, wasn't really ever brought into the hobby. Oh,
3: wow.
2: So um, Heiko Blair helped me identify it. And uh, he mentioned it's a Echinodurus patagonicus. Huh. I'm pretty sure it was what what he had named it, Um, but he said he had seen it in the wild a number of times, but never heard of anybody pulling it from the wild and using it. in a So uh, I've really been enjoying watching that plant. Uh, You know, rare plants always excite me, rare things always get me excited. But uh, the growth form on that one in particular is really unique. Uh, The leaves don't really change a whole lot above and below water, um, Mm -hmm. unlike a lot of other Akinodura species. And it throws off variegation in the leaves as well, naturally, which is really cool looking.
0: Anyways, you guys go check him out on Instagram because the photography is beautiful. Uh, so many different kinds of plants, so many different kinds of fish. What's your favorite fish?
2: And my favorite fish right now, I think, would probably be the Manica Peru angels we like to keep. Mm. Um, we did, our, unfortunately, we just lost our mail. Oh. Um, he had some health issues and uh, I had just pulled him through a bout of lymphocystis and right when everything looked like it was going good, it hit him internally and oh, that, that took him.
0: That's always sad.
2: It was unfortunate. So now we have the one ma- uh, female in this tank, but we do have a, a group of four more coming.
0: I also saw so some beautiful, beautiful gourami
2: uh, oh, swimming back and
0: forth. Guys, these guys
2: actually aren't gouramis. Um, are these not? Megalotus festivus. Totally um, like a South American cichlid. Huh. But uh, this tank's actually a biotope, so all of these fish would be found together in nature, with the exception of the crossochelius that you see down here. Huh. Um, that crossochelius langii is from the Malay Peninsula, not a South American species. But they do look an awful lot like a leperanus species that you do find in South America. So. Uh-huh. so Kinda of works. But, how uh, how
0: much? How much does that bug you that you have a fish from the wrong continent in there? <laughs> uh, you know, I,
2: I'm not so crazy about the biotope that I'm going to be that hardcore. Um, I do try really hard to keep everything else legit in here, and and you know things that would be found together in nature. I did an awful lot of research to put this together. But uh, the crossochelius is just a, I guess he is sort of one of my favorite fish. Uh, I've raised that one since he was about three quarters of an inch long. And uh, I, I just really like that little guy. He's, he's always kind of grown on me. So <laughs> he's been with me since he was a fry almost. And uh, I have a group of three of them in here, but that's our biggest one. He's a good six inches now.
0: Yeah, he's a good size. That, that that cichlid totally fooled me. It looked like a gourami, like a hundred percent.
2: My wife actually thought the same thing when I showed her a picture of them. She said, "Oh, that's such a cool looking gourami." And I said, "Actually, that's a cichlid." Oh, that's um, They call them black cichlids as well. Um, when the light hits them just right, you'll see a lot of blue on their side. They're really quite pretty.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's gorgeous. I've I've never heard or, or seen of that fish before. Uh, really, really cool. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Live and learn never ending
1: i'm just speechless i I, i've been waiting (laughs) i've been waiting for this uh chat for a while that's not Um, good for a podcast (laughs) (laughs) um i just i love following your account so to be able to not only be able to chat with you but for you giving us like this little tour too like and seeing all these fish and plants and like seeing everything live it's just it's breathtaking and if anyone has a chance, I mean, please go follow this. Cause I mean, there's just so much to look at. And I mean, you'll spend hours just scrolling, so.
0: Thank you so much, Brian, again, for spending some time with us and, and giving Ryan a tour of your tanks. <laughs> <of laughs> <laughs> Thank you thanks. for
3: inviting me, this was a pleasure.
0: Uh, yeah, same, same here. Uh, we'll keep track. We'll we'll keep checking uh, your your greed and enjoying it. And we'll wish you the best of luck with the move. Luckily, you. luckily you're not having to move the tanks because they, they're staying.
2: Yes, the tanks are staying and we're actually only moving next door. We actually uh, have been building and working on a house next to this.
0: Oh, perfect. Yeah. That'll, that'll make it for an easy move.
2: Yes. Um, once we get everything set up, we actually do have plans to get a YouTube channel going and, and we're going to start getting a little bit more interactive with everybody.
0: Wow. So
1: it should be a whole lot of fun.
0: Definitely, we'll keep, we'll keep track of you guys. Um. Thank you again.
1: Thank you. To everyone out there that's paying attention to this episode, thanks so much for tuning in each week and listening to future guests. And I know Paul hates the word tuning. I couldn't find another one. So <clears throat> you want to try again?
0: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week with another guest and another Rumble. Bye. <laughs>